Hello, and welcome to episode 44 of the Metal Chat Podcast. My name is Melissa, and I am coming to you from a snowy Boston, Massachusetts, where we are expected in my area just to get two to four inches. They're going to get more in the higher elevations. This episode is a conversation that I had with two gentlemen, Chris and Andrew, from the band Nor'easter. We recorded this chat before Christmas, and I've held on to it because the guys are putting together a mini rockumentary, a documentary on their story. And they asked me to hold on to this while they get their uh, indie go-go fund crowd sourcing fund up and running. And to be honest, that was fine with me because... As you know, the holidays aren't the best time for me to be doing any kind of editing. But I am pleased that this is ready to go out. Now, some of you guys might be familiar with this story because... If you listen to Feckin' Metal, Fergal talked to these gentlemen back in October. And I wasn't sure that I had a lot to offer to the conversation. But when the guys reached out to me and told me that they had this documentary in the works, I thought this would be a good part two to the conversation that they had with Fergal. I recommend that you go back and listen to the conversation that they had with Fergal as it goes into a little bit more detail about the backstory of the band. This is a nice bookend, I guess you could say. All the information about the crowdsourcing fund will be in the link. These guys also have a Bandcamp page, and you can find them on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever it is you get your music. And I will post a link for their social media and the Bandcamp so that you can check them out. But before we get started, as always, I thank you for your continued support. And with that, we are on to episode 44, Nor'easter, kind of, sort of, part two. Hey, cheers to you cheers. To, the, to the holiday season. I, I, I'm blurry, but yeah. What what are we each having? I've got a, a port city here from Alexandria, um, over near DC. I am drinking the Gunner's Daughter Milk Stout. It was a oh, gift. Nice. Um, so I work. I'm a, I work. I'm a manager at Whole Foods Market, and I have a customer who works for a packy at the package store, and he gave me some beers. He gave you a good one. Yeah. Yeah, nice. It's tasty. It's tasty. And, and both Chris and I have Advent beer calendars. <laughs> so, so I mine is a German Advent calendar. So I don't know if you can see that. It is a land oh, yeah. land gang brewery. Uh, Hell's nice. Nice. Yeah, I am a connoisseur of craft beers. So N- nice. Uh, I drink a lot of good. I try to drink good beer anyway. <laughs> it's life too short to not drink good beer. Right, right exactly. Absolutely. If you if you if you can only get away with having one, make it a good one. We're here at the Metal Chat with Andrew and Chris from Nor'easter. Now, I do have to say that you may be familiar with this band because Fergal Trainer and I from Feckin' Metal, we have the same, we have a lot of the same audience. So you may be familiar with this story, but we have a little bit more to the story. I hope it won't just be redundant. But that being said, why don't one of you or both of you give everybody the background of who you are, who Nor'easter is, and what's going on with you guys and what happened to lead up to this present day 
interview. Well, that sounds like an hour right there. <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> so maybe we'll break maybe we'll break it down into pieces. Um, Nor'easter uh, was uh, the hard rock project that I envisioned back when I was twenty. Um, the drummer and I um, were in a couple of bands together. Our dads taught together, and we both were really uh, sort of energized by the whole early '80s metal scene, especially when the Blizzard of Oz record came out. You know, we'd we'd been big Zeppelin fans and Rush fans, and and I guess we just kind of said that you know it would be really cool to put together a band and create our own kind of sound like that, and. Um, so we we had a bass player and 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 he was um he was not the bass player that wound up staying with us for a long period of time but what he was capable of doing was playing the bass as a melody instrument and that sound of sort of a power trio with a guitar and the bass playing things together in harmony some of the time instead of just the bass always back in the guitar that was kind of a thing that we wanted to do out of the box but we needed a singer and uh, I had this uh, this hiking buddy who had become one of my very best friends, and he lived in Lowell, which was like ninety miles away from from where I grew up in Lowell, Plainfield, Lowell Connecticut. Lowell, Mass. Yep. All right. Yep. He's a he's a, a Lowellite. <laughs> so uh, he uh, when I would go up to visit him and hang out for the weekend, or he would come down. You know, we would we'd be traveling around, especially in Lowell. We'd be driving around in his car, and he'd be blasting Maiden or Priest and singing along. I'm like, dude, you got pipes, man. So I sort of uh, uh, conned him into coming down to Connecticut and jamming with us and, you know, to see what it would sound like, you know, put him on a mic. Let's see what happens. And uh, his voice is really distinctive, but he's a singer and not, uh, you know, not just a screamer. And so I was like, dude, I, th I think it would be really cool if you uh, if you joined this band because um, we need a singer and we ain't a band without a singer. So how about you? <laughs> So at this point, I'll let him pick up his part of it. I'll let the singer pick up. The yeah. Yeah. That was my audition. I, I was told it was just going to be a little jam session with Drew, uh, our drummer, Matt, um, and the bass player that we had at the time, Doug. And it was just going to be the four of us. And it's just going to be a little jam session. We're going to have some fun just because I, I had never I was not a musical kid. Um, I, I grew up as a sports guy. Uh, so I played all kinds of sports. You, you throw a sport, uh, you know, a classic American sport, baseball, football, hockey, you, you know, you basketball, you name it. I, I tried to dabble in everything. Never musical. So I thought it would be fun. So went down to Connecticut, found out that the very first time uh, of our jam was actually my kind of audition. And there were about 40 people in oh. Matt's house because they spread the word that this I was coming down to, to sing. And I knew nothing about that. Not being a musical guy, uh, I made everybody go home. <laughs> I would not sing a note. Party's over. <laughs> I, I would not sing a note until everybody left. And so thankfully, Matt did disperse everybody much to their uh, chagrin. They, they were not happy, but we we played and we jammed and we played some cover tunes and had a good time. And yeah, that was literally the, Hey, so we're putting together this band and we'd like you to be in it. So what do you think? And you said, and I said, you know, let's give it a shot. So it's, did you move to Connecticut? I didn't, I did not. So I traveled from Lowell. Like I was living in Lowell at the time, traveled from Lowell to Plainfield, Connecticut, 
just about every weekend. Um, I, I missed a few here and there because um, it's about a 90-minute drive one way. But I was there pretty much every weekend for, for practices. Um, and then when we actually started doing some gigs, um, it was, you know, the drive down, usually to spend the weekend. So it was always spending weekends and it was always at Drew's parents' house. Um, God love them. They, they, put up with, they put up with the two of us um, for many years. But um, yeah, it was just, it was kind of a labor of love. Uh, you know, we really kind of clicked. We, the, the, not just as a band, but as a group of friends. Um, and, and so it became not just a, a side gig, not just a job of, you know, hey, I'm going to be in a band. This is, you know, something I'm doing for some extra money. It really became, I'm going down there every weekend to hang out with my friends. That was more important to me at, at the time. And, and even now of, you know, the, the time spent together with good friends, making music was, was a bonus. So who came up with the name Nor'easter? Because it's a very clever name if you're from this part of the world. We all know what a nor'easter is. I'm not sure if it was me or if it was Matt. We liked it because, you know, obviously the the energy that we were after, nor'easter captured it really well. I, I have to say that it probably guided a little bit of that creative process early on, too, because the title cut to the album, Calm Before the Storm, is probably one of the first tunes that we wrote. You know, I, I kind of... I would come up with the ideas and the lyrics and everything, and then we'd sort of get together and pound a bunch of beers and play them until they sounded like songs. Right. And uh, and and I, I I really have enjoyed hearing young creative us now um, having stood the test of time to hear those songs that way. And there's definitely that sort of storm energy that 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 kind of permeates the the record the fact that we even have a record is kind of an amazing story in itself because it wasn't the the first two bass players we had kind of dabbled at doing original stuff and when we decided to part ways with the second bass player it was like you know i know this is eastern connecticut and there aren't any places to do this but man i mean let's focus on our music let's focus on what we're doing let's 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 just kind of devote ourselves to our creative work and so did you let me interrupt for just a second. Mm. Did you did you play any cover tunes? We did at first. Yeah, the first couple of years we did. We played, you know, the this sort of standard issue heavy metal hard rock of the day with the occasional oddball thing that we just felt like doing. But yeah, you know, um Priest and Van Halen and Iron Maiden and Ozzy and all of the all of the stuff that we were, you know, we were absorbing right. all of those things as influences, you know. It's like you got to kind of immerse yourself in that for a while to really kind of find some find some things of your own to come out of it i don't know i i'm probably not explaining myself no, very I well think about that's it, but... right i mean that's it you know every band is like that you absorb what's going on around you and then you you take that and make it your own learn from the masters definitely there was that when we did our you know i i sort of think of it this way that um you know chris has always had asthma and seasonal allergies and so laryngitis was a thing that we worked around, you know, a fair amount of the time. And ultimately, what when the band split up, um, it was kind of like, you know, we were all sort of lamenting the fact we got a chance to go in a friend's studio uh, a couple years after that show and actually record our music, just the, the original three, the drummer, myself playing guitar and bass and Chris with his vocals in prime form. You know, it was like we weren't. 
you know, dependent on the calendar or anything like that. And I remember at the time I used to think how, how, you know, it was a bummer that, you know, there were these times of the year when he couldn't really sing the way that he wanted to. Looking back on it now, I'm like, I'm so glad that he could sing when he could, because I'm so happy that we have it, you know, recorded and preserved the way that it is now. I hear Calm Before the Storm now on, you know, Spotify or, this, you know, the CD player or anything like that. And I'm like, damn, that dude's got pipes. I'm just real happy that we captured it all the way that it is. So the fact that that album even survived to get to the pandemic, to get to be able to be polished up and mixed and produced is kind of a, uh, a miracle in and of itself, too. So you guys did do some gigs. Absolutely. Did. did you ever play like the Toad in New Haven? No, we were never allowed indoors. Seriously. Every gig we ever did was outdoors, like wildcatted, because there were no original rock clubs at the time in eastern Connecticut. And you had to have a following in places like New Haven or Providence or Worcester to be able to get in there. So in order to do that, we had to actually have some places that we could play. So we played keg parties and we had a pretty good following around there, but it, we were loud and our people were wild. And uh, none of the local establishments really wanted to contend with that. So did it never, you guys never thought, nowadays you don't really have to do it, but back in the day, and we're all around the same age, back then, if you wanted to make it like a band would get up and they move to New York City or the Boston or, to, uh, you know, L.A. or whatever, London. Did you guys ever consider like, OK, if we're really going to be serious about this, maybe we need to move to the big city? No. Um, and probably the biggest reason for that is because none of us ever had more than two nickels to rub together. You know, it was kind of always going to be we're either going to be able to build something out from here or we're not going to be able to do it because we just, you know, it's it's funny, all of the tools that we have now, right? What the Internet makes possible. I mean, Chris and I have done interviews with Fergal in Ireland and with another fellow here in Virginia, Randy on Ouch, You're, You're on My Hair podcast. And people are hearing us in Germany and in England and all of these places. And it's, it's kind of mind boggling to think that at the time that we recorded the album in 1989, we were still using eight track real tape. We had a digital delay, which was like, ooh, the fancy piece of equipment to get the echoes in there and stuff. The modern world and, and being able to do things the way that we do now, we sometimes forget how many obstacles there were to being able to do things that, that we take for granted now. It's Yeah, it's so weird when you think about it, because I'm from Boston and like I'm kind of down the road from you and didn't know who you are. And yet now you've got people from all over the world who aren't down the street from you who know who you are so it is yeah modern technology is pretty pretty amazing in that way it, it really is it, it you know when this whole project started uh, you know i was certainly excited to you know with drew finding um the old tapes and being able to get them uh, copied over into you know modern equipment get them moved over for our you know our current producer to be able to work with them um, nothing was re-recorded. Um, there were nothing was added. Um, it was all just worked by uh, our producer Dustin Delage from those old, you know, thirty-some-year-old tapes. It, it was just amazing. And so then to hear what he was doing with those now, um, as opposed to you know, 
I had burned a little CD back from the back, you know, when we had done the original recordings, um, had the master tracks and and you know mix them down as best we could with the equipment that we had and with with the skill sets that we had um and it sounded pretty good and i you know burned myself a little cd to keep in the car and is you know thinking oh this is this is great and now you know i hear what we have done and what's being heard around the world and it's amazing and it just when the project like i say when the project started it was like oh yeah this is cool once it kind of took off a little bit, again, you know, we we did do that the the podcast interview with Fergal uh, in Dublin. Just the, the fact that somebody in Dublin was talking to us um, and listening to our music and playing our music, it was just mind-boggling. Yeah, um, it it is just amazing. amazing. Yeah, it's great. So back then, when you guys when you guys play your last show, you you do this, you, you record this stuff, and then you part ways. Do you part ways amicably? Yeah. You know, I, I you you heard about the film. I know we're going to talk about we're the gonna film. We're going to talk about that a little, little bit. bit. Um, but in I, I was sort of thinking out loud while the camera was rolling that, you know, what happened really was like an, an every band story. And in that, you know, you do something, you work at it, and like you just – you know, one piece of the puzzle doesn't work out or one piece of the puzzle falls off or whatever. And it's like, after a while, you you just, there's, you've done it. And it's like, uh, you know what, I got to go finish college or, you know, the drummer the year after we did our last show um, got married and became a dad. Um, so traveling wasn't going to be a thing for him. And and when I went to, when I went off to UMass Amherst for grad school, um, I played in a band with him for another couple of years to pay my way through grad school. And then I moved to Virginia. I haven't lived up there since. And Paul, our last bass player, um, stayed around the area playing in other bands for a good number of years. But he lives down near Nashville now. So the the really cool thing, I mean, Chris and I have stayed in touch. We were best man at each other's weddings. And, okay, you know, I, I mean, we've been, we've, been, we've been close all this time. But, you know, we live what five six hundred miles apart too so it's like you know the this whole project happening during the pandemic and everybody getting used to zoom the three of us the three surviving members have spent a lot of time hanging out with each other on zoom and when we did the live streams from the studio sharing the first couple of mixes with people and playing the album for people it's just so much of it has happened over this distance and yet it's allowed us to be like you know, picking up kind of where we left off in some ways too. It, it um, you know, you couldn't have dr- imagined any of it 35 years ago, but here we are doing, you know, doing all of these things with the, with our youth and, and how lucky are we to have that? How many of the thousands of bands that were like us then don't have that, right? It's an enormous gift. Yeah. The interesting thing was, well, you know, you, you would asked about whether it was an amicable, amicable breakup. There was never really a formal breakup. One day we were nor'easter. A week later we were not. I had gotten sick um, after our, our one of our shows. We were scheduled to play a, four days later, and literally between the time between those four days, my throat went out. I got laryngitis. I couldn't play. The drummer and the bass player, Matt and Paul, did not want to let down the people that we're going to planning on we're planning on seeing the band so they decided to just kind of round up a couple guys <clears throat> drew decided if we can't play as as nor'easter we shouldn't play 
um, which, you know, I thank him for that. You know, it was kind of like he stuck with me is like, we can't do it as a band. You know, we are four of us are Nor'easter. If all four of us can't be there, we're not Nor'easter. Um, but Paul and Matt had bills to pay. Um, it was, you know, when you're young and you don't have any money, money talks. <laughs> um, and so they also did not want to just, you know, let down everybody that was planning to come and see some sort of music. So they rounded up a couple of other guys that they knew, you know, were musicians and very talented musicians, and they threw something together. It went over really well. Uh, they actually played two nights, the, the played a full weekend. Everything just kind of dissolved uh, at that point. And, and there was no real formal get together of the band to say, hey, we're not doing this anymore. It just kind of all went quiet. Everybody then kind of just went their separate ways, did their separate things. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, yes, I know, you know we're going to talk about this, about the, the video project. But one of the things that the video project really brought for me was kind of a closure to the band. Granted, 35 years later, but finally a closure to the band of being able to talk about just what had happened and what had transpired and why we were all of a sudden just no longer nor'easter. It just, you say it was one day we were and a week later we weren't. Um, So it was really weird. So for you, who you said you were not a musician to start with, did did you just kind of like, you just went back to not being a musician? You never was in another band? You just kind of... Well, I actually did. There was another uh, group of guys down in Plainfield that were two brothers and another friend of theirs that, you know, were also looking for a singer. Um, And so I decided to give that a shot. Um, Never really panned out into, you know, even a gig. We did, you know, we practiced a bunch. um, But I wasn't sure how, one, how serious this particular group of guys was. Um, for me, traveling 90 miles to go and practice um, and getting there and, and you know, having the, the couple of the guys just passed out drunk um, and not being able to practice, that, you know, wore a little thin on me really fast because now I'm driving 90 miles for nothing. Right. Um, but also it just didn't, also it just did not feel right when I, you know, uh, as I always say, I blame and thank Drew all at the same time for getting me, you know, into uh, uh, the band and singing um, and being the vocalist for the band. I signed up to be a vocalist and singer for that band <laughs> with those with those guys. So this other band just didn't feel right to me. So after, you know, several months of just kind of practicing, you know, anytime we could, but realizing that these guys weren't all that serious and, and wasn't for me. Um, I kind of gave up on that. I did also try with a bunch of guys in Lowell. I met a couple of guys through, through work where I was working at the time that were also musicians and they were kind of toying around and we did a couple of, uh, we, we jammed a few times at my parents' house, but they weren't really serious about getting together they were doing cover tunes, which once you've started doing your own music, right. it's it's really hard to go back to doing cover tunes. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it's that you're going backwards. Uh, they weren't interested in writing their own music. They were just interested in banging out cover tunes. For me, that's not really what I was, you know, I got used to singing, you know, our music. Um, I wasn't going to do Nor'easter music with anybody else, um, for sure. I wasn't 
you know, bringing over the nor'easter tunes and saying, hey, guys, let's learn these so that I could keep singing the nor'easter songs. That's not how that was going to work. But they weren't interested in, in doing original music. And so we jammed a few times. But at that point, I just kind of figured, you know, if if I can't, if nor'easter is not going to be nor'easter, then I might as well just, you know, pack up my microphone, pack up my mic stand and, you know, close that chapter of my life and say, it was a blast and I, you know, I, I wouldn't change a thing other than, you know, possibly doing it longer, but I certainly wouldn't have changed the thing is, is to, you know, being in the band. And yeah, I just went back to you know, what I was doing before playing sports. And then, you know, I got married, had kids, you know, life happens. Um, and so it is what it is. <laughs> what do you, what do your kids think about you guys well, before you before you answer that, Andrew, you continued to have a musical career and have one now as we speak. How did that sort of how, how come you didn't join another rock band? Why go the singer songwriter route? You know, that's a great question. In in looking back on it is easier than like deciding that I had a plan uh, at any point along the way. But I will say that I didn't really, um, I didn't have a plan to do that. But when I was at UMass, of course, I was right there in Northampton for a year. And there's the Iron Horse. And I heard Sean Colvin for the first time. And I heard a lot of solo singer songwriters doing incredible things with an acoustic guitar and songs they wrote. And I'm like, hey, I don't need a band to do that. I kind of like the idea of being able to, you know, have this sort of, you know, it, it kind of developed fairly organically, but I'd gone to UMass to be an environmental engineer. And four years after I graduated, I had walked away from the field to be a, you know, a full-time touring songwriter. And I think that um, what Chris says is really on point though, about Nor'easter was more than just a band it was like this connection of of uh, you know it's i i say that being in a band is part family part friend group and part this intersection of mystery and magic because you're making these noises together and you don't always know what each other are going to do you hear it as it's happening but you're not like inside the bass player's head or the drummer's head necessarily and and thinking what they're going to do next it's kind of happening and and there was a sort of magic about that that I was like, you know what? I don't care if I never find that again because I've had that. And that was awesome. And I don't want to be disappointed in uh, in not ever being able to capture what we did. So the fact that we have the music that we made recorded as well as it was, um, it was a good demo recording even then. But to hear it, you know, taken into the modern studio and shined up and, you know, the, the little bits of editing here and there, but all of the, the sound effects, you know, all of the, the tools and toys that we have in the modern studio after recording, you know, six or seven albums of my own to be able to sit there and work with 23 year old me rocking out and hearing all of that in that environment that I'm used to working in. I, it's hard to describe the treasure of it, but I can say that I feel like not being in a rock band with other people was the right choice for me too. Right. Do you do any of the Nor'easter songs acoustically? Well, I have, um, and, and we have actually. So 
what what's coming is talking about the film and the fact that the three of us were together in the studio here in Virginia just a couple weeks ago for the first time in 35 years. That weekend of not only doing the interviews for the film, but we played together for a while and we ate and drank and told stories and just enjoyed being in each other's company even more than we did as much as we did back in the mid eighties because we knew it was something really special. So actually I have, um, I have once in a blue moon done an acoustic version of calm before the storm, the title cut. And you know, the first thing you can say about nor'easter music when you listen to that album is find any one of those tunes that lends itself to an acoustic solo treatment and, and you're, you're on to something. Um, cause the guitar playing that I was doing on those album, on those songs on that album is a whole lot different than anything I've done since. But the three of us sitting in the studio doing an acoustic version of Calm Before the Storm was like this higher state of bliss for a little while to be sitting next to him singing again. And, you know, it was just magic. It was just really a magical experience. But most of that music is well beyond my ability to replicate solo in any way, shape or form. So before we talk about the movie, we have to talk about Matt because he's not here. Um, He passed away 2004. 2002. 2002. Okay. Yeah. He was sick. He got pneumonia um, oh. and he'd had a long battle with alcoholism mm-hmm. and uh, he was at a, at a sober and recovering place, but his body was pretty weak. And so uh, the, the craziest thing about all of this is when I originally got the Nor'easter tapes transferred to digital, was in September of 2002. Um, our our original engineer, Pat Mills, had moved to South Carolina and I was on the road down there, oh, for a week or two. And at the end of the tour, I went to his house, which is near Spartanburg. And I had brought my Roland digital workstation. I'm like, dude, we're gonna transfer those tapes into digital and we're gonna be able to edit them and mix them. And it's gonna be like, finally, what it's supposed to sound like, right? And I remember I called Matt on the, on the ride home. I called him on my cell phone and, and he wasn't home. So I left him a message. It turns out that he was already in the hospital with this pneumonia and uh, it wasn't going away. And so they decided that they would, the, the thing they needed to do was open him up and scrape his lungs to scrape the infection out of his lungs. And they did that and that the surgery was okay. But afterwards he never, the, he just bled out. He never healed. So yeah, and so I mean, those what was on the digital workstation went up to my attic for years because I just couldn't bear it. I mean, I'd known Matt my whole life, and uh, I'd been in at his wedding, and we'd played music together, and he was my musical soulmate in so many ways. He and I could be playing anything, cover tune, jam, whatever, and just look at each other, and like we'd take the same left turn at the same time. I've never had really that experience with any other musician since. And I, for a long time wondered, you know, I I felt like I was missing an arm. Uh, It took a long while to even get to a point. And of course, that's all like post 9-11. And when I flew up for his funeral was like when the DC sniper thing was going on too. So like the day that I went to the airport. In Connecticut, correct? Yeah, he was in Connecticut and I was here in Virginia. So I, I, um, the day before I flew up, the snipers had killed four people like randomly around the region. So there's just like this, all this stuff that I had associated with all of that. And I just, I had to put it away for a long while. 
And if, if frankly, if it wasn't for the pandemic, none of this would have happened. And, and I just feel so fortunate that we were able to take Matt's work. His isn't is pretty much he came down and played on my first solo record, but it wasn't the same as playing nor'easter music okay. that we arranged together. And to hear the album and to hear Matt's drums and Dustin is a drummer himself and a tech wizard. And he labored over Matt's drums, which on the original recording were a single mono track, wow. all of the drums. What Dustin did with that single mono track of drums on the album is incredible. To hear the sound out of those drums is just amazing. So in a way, the pandemic gave us the opportunity to preserve Matt's legacy once and for all. And his kids, who are now in their early 30s, um, they were young when he died. They were like in their early teens. And so their dad's legacy, you know, it's like there's been so many threads through this whole thing that have just been like, wow. Holy crap. I was going to ask you about, about his kids, about his, his family getting, getting this gift of sort of their dad again, or their. Oh yeah. To, to yeah him. We have both been in touch with his son, Alex. I've, I've been in touch with Alex uh, more than his sister. Um, but uh, we, we, you know, did a, uh, just a zoom meeting at one point, but withdrew Paul and I, and, uh, Drew invited Alex, um, and, and he didn't tell Paul and I that he had done that. And so, you know, we're thinking, oh, we're just joining the Zoom meeting. We're going to have have a beer. We're going to hang out together. And you know, you start your Zoom meeting, and all of a sudden, I see Alex. It was it was special. It's on the twentieth anniversary of Matt's passing. Because oh, I can, wow. because I can, you can see and hear um, how much this really does mean to him. And so the project became became more than just we're doing this project for ourselves and we are uh, <laughs> we're not, we won't pull any any punches there we we are doing it for ourselves it's our legacy too but then to hear how it's touching you know somebody else in in that big a way you know just to, to hear Alex talking about it and be able to listen to you know his dad you know playing the drums again it, it really is touching that's really great okay so let's Let's talk about this. We've sort of danced around the subject. Let's talk about this. Is it a documentary? We're calling it a mini rockumentary. It okay. is probably going to be about a half an hour long. But um, so our last show, our last show was actually in civilization. It was at a municipal festival that was organized in one of the villages of Plainfield, a place called Moosup. And we had played a, a party. <laughs> at uh, Musa Pond, just outside the village of ways, a couple years before that um, is still, um, let's just say, of somewhat legendary oh. proportions in Plainfield, um, due in part to the number of uh, kegs of beer and the number of police cars that were involved with breaking the party up, which was 12, eight state cops and four locals. What? So nor'easter was sort of synonymous with Musa pond and notoriety and all that and this had kind of died down by the time 1987 rolled around at least to the point where the guy who was organizing the festival when my girlfriend who worked at another one of the local businesses said hey i know a band that would be great they're from here they create their own music you should have them on the bill and they did and they put us on at noon 
And we were following um, the local Catholic church's big vocal group and the little tumblers, you know, the, the elementary school tumblers. And the festival stage was not 50 yards from the packy across the way that opened at 10 a.m. So our people were there excited to see not only us, but see the new lineup with Paul, the bass player, and hear us doing all our own tunes. And so there was a line when the packy opened at 10. And by the time we hit the stage at noon, let's just say things were a, a bit electric. And it turns out that one of the guys in one of the other bands had bought a forehead VHS camera and captured probably two thirds of our set on it. And those tapes sat in his basement for 35 years. We got a hold of them last November. So it's VHS. There was mold growing on the tape. You know, it, it is what it is. Dustin did amazing work to clean this whole thing up. We sent it off to get the mold off of it, get it transferred. He did the whole AI thing with, you know, the color correction and everything else like that. It's still not of a quality that you can like put out, hey, here it is in like HD or anything like that. But it's a window into our chapter of that every band story I was talking about. You know, how many bands had the opportunity to to create their own music or play in front of a hometown crowd like that. And ultimately you don't get out of your home, your home pond. You're the big fish in a small pond. And, and that's the way it goes for 99.9% .9 of those bands. Right. Mm -hmm. But we have this time capsule and I'm like, you know, it would be really cool to be able to tell this story, our story, the every band story kind of in our own way and use this, this film to do it. So that's what we've been working on. And one of our songs that we closed that day with is Rock Time in Your Town, which is also on the album. And it just, all of the pieces started falling together. And about three months ago, I said to Chris and Paul, I, I suggested, hey, if you guys were willing to come down to the studio, we could do a good job of filming these interview segments. We could play some music together. You know, what do you, th I mean, it's like a 10 hour drive for each of them, right? From opposite directions said, yeah, you know, what do you think? And, and so, you know, everybody's like dodging COVID and working on work schedules and trying, you know, not to get their car run into at the landfill, um, all this other stuff that's going on. And somehow or other, everything fell in place according to plan. And, and it was the first time in 35 years that the three of us had been sitting in a room together. We'd seen each other for like two minutes at Matt's funeral. And it was just, I mean, it was chaos. This was like Chris said, it was, it was closure, but it was like a joyful kind of, you know, we got to do something new together too. And that felt like super special. So I'm kind of excited to see how the movie turns out. Um, you know, talking it, talking about all of the bits and pieces of things. I mean, Plainfield was always a musical hotbed that nobody knows about. Tons of people played music when we were growing up. There were six bars in the four villages of, of town that had bands playing every weekend. We all cut our teeth doing that as teenagers and stuff. So the story, the way that it's kind of unfolded and, and hearing each of them telling their pieces of it is like, you know, this is, this is really cool. I'm really glad that we're getting a chance to do this. It sounds very, it sounds very interesting to me. I love history and I love music. So I think that it's, I think, and like you said, it's a time capsule. It's sort of, 
you know, brings us all back to, to our youth. And yeah, being able to have all of what we have. Um, so we've got, you know, we've got a CD that's, you know, that's being heard around the world. We've got for what it's worth, you know, the video is clean. It, it cleaned up somewhat nicely. Um, the mold came off pretty well and, and, <laughs> Yeah, certainly you're not going to, you know, broadcast it out. As Drew said, it's not a high, it's not going to be high, you know, 4K for sure. But watching it was like just sitting down and, and watching it on the laptop just brought back like so many memories. Having all of that, knowing other people, you know, we've got another friend that has played in bands, you know, for a long time. He's been in a lot of different bands. We were hiking last summer and he actually had said to me how kind of jealous he was that and happy for us but happy jealous that we have this you know we we now have something that we can you know pass on to our kids and they can pass on to their kids and you know yeah grandpa grandpa had long hair and and was in a rock band kind of thing um but we have all of this um he doesn't even really have any pictures um no recordings no nothing right. just memories of yes he you know, he was in these bands when he was younger and, and played music, uh, but really nothing concrete and, no, you know, no, no real proof other than, you know, because I know, you know, as I get older, my kids think I'm getting more and more senile every day. But, um, <laughs> you know, I can back it up. I can, you know, pull out the CD and say, no, no, I'm not just making this. I'm not just imagining that I used to sing in a rock band. I, it's right here. Um and I laugh because with everything, you know, being digital these days and we're on Spotify and, you know, YouTube music and a lot of the other streaming platforms. Um, I said right from the start, I made my kids playlists um, <laughs> as well as my wife's. So from day one, as soon as I hit their playlist, I figured I can I, I'm a happy man. I, I can uh, go off into that good night when the, when the time comes, knowing that uh, my kids put me on their playlist. So there you go. That's great. And, and like you, you were saying, you guys are on Spotify. You have a Bandcamp page. I bought the CD. Everybody can go. I'll put the Thank you. link in the description. Um. So are you making any money off of this? You know, enough to, enough to pay for this. So we did an Indiegogo, we did an Indiegogo campaign to cover the album and we're going to do another Indiegogo campaign to cover the, the, the film that's going to, you know, nobody, nobody in their right mind starts an Indiegogo campaign in December. So, uh, that'll be kicking off in January and that'll be on all of our social media and the website and all of that too. We haven't gone broke doing it, um, which is good. And you know, it's funny we get, there's, there's money trickling in, trickling in. Yeah. From like Apple, from iTunes and, you know, people are, there aren't very many of those CDs left. Um, we didn't print a lot of them because we figure they're kind of a dinosaur, but we knew that there would be some people who knew us back in the day who would want the artwork and the lyrics and all that. So we've got like 40 of them left. <laughs> it's not much. Um, that's kind of a surprise, a pleasant surprise, but um, you know, the, the goal was never really to, to make a ton of money about it. It was really like, you know, first the music was good. None of the rest of this would have happened if the music hadn't been good. And that was really good. We, we always believed that it deserved to be heard. And so during the pandemic, I mean, I was, I've been off the road, still not really back on the road at all normal since March of 2020. 
And it was kind of my, uh, my save my life sanity project too. And the fact that Dustin couldn't bring anybody else in to record in the studio, um, you know, we've, we've been, we've been kind of keeping each other afloat, um, doing this for all of this time. It, it it's kind of crazy because one of my current bandmates here in Virginia is Les Thompson. Les is one of the founding members of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. And so this year is the 50th anniversary of the Will the Circle Be Unbroken album. So they were in Nashville a couple of days ago doing some concerts at the Country Music Hall of Fame. And they got a, a nice Lifetime Achievement Award from the IBMA down in Raleigh and all that stuff. But it's funny because when Les and I are talking about it, we're talking about the same periods of our lives. It's he did that in his early 20s and we did Nor'easter in our early 20s. And it's just kind of been crazy to, to see the difference in the kinds of musical journeys that can happen simply based on when and where you were. Those kids caught lightning in a bottle in a, in a music shop in Long Beach. And we were born and raised in Plainfield, which is off the map and off the beaten track and halfway between New York and Boston, you know. It's it's just kind of funny how the the vagaries of chance and circumstance impact your story so much. And yet I think that we've been gifted a story to tell that is a story that's bigger than just ours. Exactly. So do you guys have plans to go on the road and get the band back together? Play some shows? I'm gonna say never say never, but not likely. You know, I even find that traveling as a solo artist now at this phase of my life, it's a lot of days behind the wheel. It's a lot of miles of the interstate and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, the logistics were always daunting when you're four dudes of, you know, whose floor you're going to sleep on tonight if you're going to New York or whatever like that. I think that if we were to do anything new, it would be um, taking advantage of the same kinds of things that we've been doing all along here in this last year with the, you know, so much of the internet makes possible, you know, to reach people without having to to do as much traveling and frankly, the expense too. I mean, it's not just the, you know, there's, there's all of the logistics of doing that too. Me, I've been playing and singing for 30 years and all of that since Nor'easter. For Chris, you know, the the pipe sounded pretty darn good in the studio, but it, it's also, you know, it's not like an easy thing to just pick up and, and do the voice of Nor'easter again, just like that. You know, that's like hit the gym and, and hit the workouts for like, you know, a lot of weeks to, to, to stretch everything back into shape. Yeah, it, it was really fun to play together again, and he sounded really good. Let's just put it at that. And the interesting thing that was never really known when we were playing, I would get sick periodically, you know, usually in the wintertime between December and April um, was kind of like the, the no fly zone, if you will. It, it, it's kind of like I, December would hit, I would get, you know, would, would, what would start as a cold would just manifest itself into like a bronchitis, laryngitis, and, and literally last until springtime. In my later years, I was actually diagnosed with asthma, probably have had that most of my life, um, but it was just never really diagnosed because it's not the type of asthma that I think of. It, even when I think of asthma, I think of you know people really struggling to breathe. Right. I don't have that type of asthma, but what it does do is when I get a cold, 
it becomes not just a cold. Uh, it, it really it it immediately blows out into something, you know, much larger and longer recovery time to get through. Um, so I try to avoid colds and flu, you know, as much as I can because really, I don't want to be traveling. You know, everybody, yeah, right. you know, there's nobody that, is, yeah, there's nobody that enjoys that. But I think, you know, some people enjoy it less. And that would certainly be me because I know that it takes so long to, to get over that. And so, you know, the thought of getting, you know, the band back together kind of thing. It was really fun to sit in the studio with, you know, like I said, it was amazing after 35 years to sit with Paul and Drew and just, you know, be playing together. That was amazing to do that on a regular basis. And, and you know, again, you never say never probably unlikely and if it if anything were to happen it would really be like know, a just kind of stu- studio reco- studio recording um and then you know in- internet reach um as we're doing now um uh, you know touching people without actually touching people <laughs> you go back and, to what is that what is it moose up is that what you moose yeah. up lake and do a do a reunion show. <laughs> so so that would be really interesting. Drew and I were there um, a couple of years ago. Um, it was actually after the pandemic, right? Uh, oh well, when we pandemic, when we when went, back to, went back to to the festival to the festival site, yeah, downtown yeah. Moose Up. Yeah, I, I, that's crazy. Yeah, it, it is a ghost town uh, these days. It, it, it looked a lot different. There anymore? So I stood behind where the stage had been. And I took a picture, and it, and it will wind up in the film. I've heard that there's been some some work being done in the last year. It was actually last October that we were there, 2021. Um, and we went there to just kind of, like, see it. And the bar that I played my very last show in before I moved to Virginia was a biker bar that was, like, right on the corner there. And the, the building was falling in. The building next to it, the windows were all knocked out and stuff. It was like, yeah, nothing but an abandoned parking lot. And oh. and like you see it in the film with all of these people with 80s hair and, you know, <laughs> rocking out and everything. And then in my mind, I see it morphing into like this look of 2021. And it's like, you know, that that's kind of part of the story in its own weird way, too, that time time leaves all of us behind at some point. And, uh, and, and I've heard that there's been, you know, some downtown redevelopment and stuff like that going on in the last year. But for us, that was a, a really vivid thing to see that like that. I was like, wow, I, I'd never been back. I mean, I'd never been back there and neither had Chris. Yeah. And, and I should point out that if there was going to be any sort of musical mischief of a new variety, I'll say, I'll say only two things. One, Matt's son is a drummer and inherited he inherited part of his old man's drum set and I have jammed with him once and it was really special it was on his 30th birthday and my dad was part of that jam too it was really uh it was really pretty pretty cool to do that um the second thing is that we knew that one of the things that happened to all of our hero bands was that if their first album took off, the demands were on them to record a second album, like, let's get it done, let's get it done, let's get it done. So we had already written seven or eight songs for a second album, and we actually demoed them years later with a drum machine, with Chris singing, just so we would have them captured someplace. 
So it's not that there's not more nor'easter material that could be done eventually. But right now the focus is really on on the the film and telling the story and all of that and and we'll see what happens from there. I can tell you this, the three of us very much enjoyed being together again. It was really something special. I think that that's great. And that's the bottom line, right? Is the enduring friendship and the rekindled friendship in many ways, you know. And now that you do this you want to stay together you want to see each other more and you know <laughs> the pandemic has been good for a lot of things excuse me because i'm friends with fergal and so we zoom and you know he's in ireland and we drink beers together and listen to music together and talk to each other and have a, you know when we formed a friendship and he we've gotten shows together and things like that so it's pretty amazing what what the internet can do to bring people together but then after that it's all about being real life friends, right? Like it was important to actually meet Fergal in real life and become real life friends. And you guys are obviously were already real life friends, but it's by, about rekindling that real life friendship. And it's and really I, not that far. That's right. It, it, it That's what made it more like even more special was, you know, through this project, yes, we've been doing the Zoom meetings and sometimes we'll just do a you know, quick Zoom meeting just to sit down and have a beer together, yeah. a virtual beer together uh, and just chat a little bit about just life. Um, it had really nothing to do with the project, but just to talk because it really had been too long. As Drew said, you know, him and I, Drew and I have kept in touch. Um, we try to get together, you know, at least every summer. Um, we met as, as young kids in our just before teens, maybe early teens, 12, 13 year old kids up in the White Mountains of New Hampshire hiking and camping. And we became friends and have been friends. So we've been friends, you know, 40 some years now. That also boggles the mind that you can, you know, have a friendship, you know, with anybody for 40 something years. Um, and so we've certainly, yeah, we've certainly kept in touch over the years and we see each other as much as we can. When Drew was touring, certainly anytime he was within a stone's throw of, you know, the New England area, I would try to get there to go see the show, uh, whether it was in a coffee shop, uh, you know, a church, you, you name it, where if he was playing anywhere close by, uh, I was there. And, and so Paul, a little different, as mentioned, you know, we hadn't seen him or I hadn't seen him other than a few video chats. Um, in 20 years. Um, and that was, you know, at a really chaotic, sad time of, you know, a few minutes after Matt's funeral, just to say hello. And then he needed to get back to Tennessee. I needed to get back to New Hampshire. Or, you know, I didn't even remember seeing him 20, you know, at Matt's funeral. It was that short. So for me, you know, it was kind of like, wow, I haven't seen Paul in 35 years. And and remembering, well, no, it was not quite 35 years. It was 20, but you know, it was two minutes in, in. It was a blur. Two minutes out in 35 years. So that yeah. didn't really count. So just actually see each other in person again, the playing music portion was, you know, again, that was an extra added bonus. Uh, but just to see everybody in person and, and, you know, be able to, you know, give each other, give each other a hug and, and have a share a beer, share a dinner um in person priceless 
absolutely yeah. priceless. You know, it was a long, it was a 10 hour drive for, <laughs> for each of us, 12 hours with the way that uh, I tend to digress and, and make some side trips here and there. So it, it, 12 hours for me, but well worth it. <laughs> worth every mile and worth every minute in, in the, the little rental car that they had to drive there. So I like the way you get them to come to you, Andrew. Well, see, the thing is, I, I live like almost equidistant between them but the studio is here is there. and oh, these nice. guys think i live in the middle of the god dang no place even though i'm 60 miles from dc because the roads from here to the studio eight miles away up on mount gilead is mostly gravel roads you know one lane gravel roads <laughs> we we had breakfast at my house one of the mornings they were here and then then we went over to the studio and it's like bumping along and you know, I'm so used to it, but I'm sure, I'm sure they're like, dude, you, you well, seriously hillbillying us, man. <laughs> 12, you, like, oh, go 12, hours, 12 hours in a rental car to end up on a dirt road was, <laughs> was, was not my idea of a good time, to be honest. He got snowed on on the way down, too. It's perfect. Snow, little snow squalls and, and like I say, 12 hours in a, in a rental car. And then you, you get the directions and you go, OK, take a right on this road. And you look and go. Oh, that road's a dirt road. <laughs> oh, so where do you play in Boston? What venues have you played in Boston? Uh, well, the, a long time ago, I played Passim a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Not, not my own show, that's but like part of the show. That's not far from me. Um, I don't live I've, that far from Cambridge. I tend to do a lot more house concerts and stuff, or there'll be like, you know, the Boston area is famous for their coffee house series, you know, the monthly coffee house at this congregational church or that Unitarian church. So I've done a bunch of them. I've done the Boston Folk Festival. I've done. Have you done Newport? Um, no, never, never played Newport. Would love to, but no, that, that hasn't happened. But, you know, the, the, the funny thing about all of this is in the singer songwriter world, the laws of supply and demand are terrible. You know, there's a ton of people who write great songs and want to perform and not a huge audience for it. So one of the big eye openers for me about the Nor'easter project is even though our music comes from the eighties is how much bigger the market is yeah. for eighties rock and metal. Even if it's new, like the, if it, if it can trace its roots to that, you know, it, it's funny because a lot of the albums that we were using as templates in the studio, you know, we, Dustin and I would, we had, you know, a couple of cuts from Ingve Malmsteen and a couple of Ozzy's first two albums. And, you know, those would be sort of like we're A being mixes to see how things line up. So when I listen to the Nor'easter album um, now and I hear Calm Before the Storm, I'm real happy that it fits really sonically nicely stylistically nicely in that whole pocket of stuff but the audience for it is so much bigger than the folk singer songwriter yeah. world it's it's really incredible to be you know there's there's a whole lot more music being made too but uh just it's a it's a an eye opener to to see that it, it's been a it's it's fun. It's been a real treat to kind of get to experience what that's all like in the in the modern world because it was new to me. It's a different demographic because I think in the metal world you've got the younger kids who will enjoy not reminiscing but sort of pretending to reminisce about days gone by and then you have those of us who actually are reminiscing about days gone by. <laughs> so there is a much there is a much bigger audience of people who wouldn't, weren't alive back then or were very small back then. I mean, Fergal was a baby back then. You, yeah. you know, like I said, we're all around the same age. So uh, 
but yeah, but yet we both have the same interests in the same types of music where the demographic is, I think, a little bit different when you get into like a singer songwriter. Yeah, it's funny. It's like we all say we had a better light bulb and the younger generation says they had a better light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It was That's a damn true. good light bulb. It was. It was. <laughs> it definitely was. Although the technology is, you know, like like nowadays, there's so many bands that because of Spotify and because of Bandcamp that you can find out about some great bands that are far reaching that you didn't back in the day that, you know, bands that weren't even that far away from me that I didn't know about, let alone a band in Germany that I didn't know about. Right. Well, we really appreciate the fact that you found our music and super glad that you've enjoyed it. Thank you for that. Well, thank you. And I'm glad that you guys came on the show. Like I, I was a little bit, there was a little bit of trepidation because like I said, Fergal and I have kind of the same audience, but I hope that this is more of a part two to your discussion. We, we can apologize to Fergal now for not spilling the beans that we had plans in the works to actually get together because there was a 50-50 chance it wasn't going to happen. Either it will or it won't. I flunked statistics at UMass, by the way. That's why. But, you know, he he asked if we had anything, you know, in the works. And at the time that we sat with him and did that interview, it was really kind of more of an amorphous, it would be nice if, and maybe we can. And that's about as far as we got. Um, so Fergal, my friend, Slancha. Uh, <laughs> he was, I, so, I reached just, out to him to see if it was, because, you know, I said, you know, what do you think about me having them on the show? Because like I said, he and I are actual friends. And, you know, he said, no, I think it'll be, it'll be fine. I think you can have your own spin on it or whatever, because we didn't want to, you know, do the same sort of thing. And I didn't yeah, want to. Now you've got the update. Yeah. That's it. Part, Part two. two. That's it. <laughs> the sequel. The sequel. Well, guys, I thank you so much for coming on the show. I very much appreciate it. And listen, when you're in Boston, look me up. We'll go have an actual beer together. <laughs> Not over Zoom. We'll have a beer. And if you're ever, you know, doing your singer-songwriter thing at Passim or some coffee house or the Unitarian Church, we have a Unitarian Church right here in Arlington. Come play it, and um, I'll check you out. Absolutely. Excellent. We thank Absolutely. you, Melissa, for having us on. It's been All a right. pleasure. Yeah, it's been a have pleasure. A Thanks night. for sharing our music. Hey. Happy, happy holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever it is you celebrate, enjoy it. You as well. Will do. Happy New Year. Take oh, good care. And cheers. Make sure you let me know about the um the GoFundMe so I can uh, tweet it out. You bet. Coming in January. Absolutely. Right. Thank awesome. you. Bye. Bye bye. bye. <laughs>